Adam Crowley Show. I've never felt so alive until now. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. Shortly before we came on the air, I found a photo on Twitter of Sidney Crosby at Wimbledon with Maria Sharapova. So I clicked on it and went to the comments section. And the very first comment was, I don't know him. Then it was followed by a series of different comments from what appeared to be various male stalkers making certain remarks about her legs and her hair and how much they want to see her on the beach and the occasional gif of her taking on or putting off a jacket or something to that effect and I, I still come back to well a couple of things about this photo number one the first comment is I don't know him the second thing is and this one comes home to me a little bit as someone who stands all of five foot six and three quarters She's doing that lean down, lean in thing to the shorter guy being the much taller woman to make Sid look taller. And I like that about Maria Sharapova now. She is now my favorite women's tennis player. Like to go that far, to go that extra mile, to make Sidney Crosby feel taller by showing poor posture, that's a nice touch. I just hope that Sid doesn't run into her position because we don't need any of that sort of controversy. I'm Tim Benz in for Adam Crowley. We have plenty of Penguins that we're going to get to later on today. Lots of Pirates talk as well. Some Steelers to mix in. Perhaps a crisis facing the National Football League that has nothing to do with the actual players or owners, but something else of import. We'll get to all that. But I read a line on the Pittsburgh Tribune Review this week. And we do have to start with this kind of meaty topic because there's a direct sports tie-in here. And I read a line in the Trib where one of our reporters was told by a police officer that while the protesters of the Antoine Rose shooting were outside of PNC Park, that if they had forcibly tried to enter PNC Park this weekend, that they would have just been let right in. That basically they were going to go wherever they wanted to go, even if they were going to disrupt and cancel the baseball game. Based on how the Pirates played this weekend, the cops should have let that happen. They should have just opened up the doors and served pierogies in the batter's box because Lord knows the Pirates weren't using it for anything constructive, so maybe the protesters would have. Better than tying up traffic on the parkway. There's never any traffic to tie up on the base paths for the Pirates. That much is clear. And I do know that there's, there is a very significant, noticeable sports angle to what took place over the weekend besides that. We can actually get into that a little bit later on, because I, I do think that's part of the conversation here. Like, at what point does honoring civil protest come into dangerous interaction? Like, is it okay at PNC Park when there's only 5,000 people left there? 10,000 people left there at 10 o'clock at night? Uh, What if it's during a Steeler game and there's 65,000 drunkards that are there after partying all day in the parking lots? Like, where is it okay? Like, where are you kind of mentally drawing the line on this that they would have been just let right into PNC Park? I, I think that's something worth talking about. 
But there's also a very noticeable sports angle to what took place over the weekend in Pittsburgh that's not getting enough attention, and it should. And it is by no means trivializing the situation by connecting sports to it. Because I feel sports is a big reason why what we saw here in Pittsburgh over the weekend took place in the first place. Regardless of what side of the debate you fall on with the shooting and the protest that took place as a result, you should be mad about this from a sports-related angle. In a strange way, I actually think that there's a tie here that needs to be talked about when it comes to people protesting and the people mad at the protesters and where I think those two sides are going to agree. Now think about it. I'm going to ask both sides of the debate the same question here. Where's Colin Kaepernick in all of this? Is he here? Is he in town? Is he supporting the cause? Where's Eric Reed? Where's Malcolm Jenkins? Where are all the NFL players who claimed that kneeling during the anthem was such an important thing in the name of police brutality against minorities? Again, for those of you who are in favor of what the protesters were doing, don't you want to see these guys lend their powerful voices to your cause since they have so publicly said it's such an important matter? And if you're someone who is against what the protesters are doing and against that connection that players like Colin Kaepernick have made between police brutality and the flag, are you not put off by their silence here? I think it comes off as either A, hypocritical because it happened to occur during a downtime of the NFL calendar. That's a worst-case scenario. In a best-case scenario, it's ignorance because they don't even know what's going on. That's the best-case scenario for all the silence out there in the NFL community on this topic. If this is such an important topic to the players that they turned it into a tinderbox issue for 18 months in the United States, then how are you blissfully unaware of this shooting that took place in Pittsburgh? It's not a local story restricted to the A block on Channel 11. It's on ABC. It's in the New York Daily News. It's in the Washington Post. It's everywhere. I checked on Colin Kaepernick's timeline. People are posting about it in his mentions, but I haven't seen him reference it. And if he has, then show me. I'd like to see it because I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it on Instagram. I haven't seen it on Twitter from many of the guys who have been very vocal on this topic. Now, those guys' names I just rattled off. As of 3 o'clock today, I have yet to see a direct reference to what took place here. And when it comes to some of the Steelers, guys who are active on social media, if not on this topic, but on social media in general, you know, I saw the Antonio Brown post where it said, R.I.P. Antoine Rose, sad day. He said that shortly after the story broke. And he's the only guy that I've seen who's referenced it. Not Lev Bell or Cam Hayward or Vince Williams, some other guys who tend to be active in various capacities on social media. I spun through their Twitter accounts yesterday and... I haven't seen anything. I haven't gone through every mention, but no one's making a big deal about it, and boy, is it a big deal. Now, some people have told me when I've argued the merits of this conversation that perhaps those guys were just trying to find out the facts. Maybe those guys are scared off of commenting because they don't know enough about the case, that they need more details about whether or not he was linked to that drive-by shooting 13 minutes earlier, and if so, in what capacity. Did he pull the trigger? 
Okay, yeah, maybe. And if that's true, then I applaud them for thinking that way. Now, let me ask you, do you think that's really the case? Do you really think that's why there's been such deafening silence from the sports community on this after they were so loud on the topic in season? Do you really think that? Or are you more likely to believe that they either don't care because it's not happening right in front of their faces or they aren't as engaged socially and politically on the topic as they want you to believe? I want to believe the former, but I believe the latter. 412-922-2874. Now, one guy, Lamont Wade, Penn State player, local product, he was actively marching. Okay, you might not agree with him, but at least he's doing something about his stance. Some of these other guys I mentioned, Malcolm Jenkins, Anquan Bolden, Colin Kaepernick, Chris Long, the McCourty twins, those guys spent a lot of time last week petitioning Donald Trump about commuting the sentences of nonviolent offenders. Okay, that's political activism, kind of in the same vein. That comes off as a much more national spotlight-grabbing situation than the alleged grassroots involvement I was so constantly told was important that got this movement going. This is where it starts in the neighborhoods, right? In the cities, in the streets. And it strikes me as much less of an important deal to talk about something, even though it's on a larger national level, than what I was told for 18 months, which was so important, which was connecting a national symbol like the flag to a localized situation from city to city. That was the message. That's why we had to kneel during the national anthem, because the national dialogue had to trickle down to the local grassroots. Well, we're at the grassroots. Here we are, and I'm here in nothing. Nothing. 18 months of dialogue we've had on this topic. And now we see something like this, and where are the people who started the dialogue? What, we're bored with it? We're over it? We've moved on? But Pittsburgh isn't a big enough city? We're out of season now? There's no cameras around? What's the reason? And I would think that people on both sides of the fence, and there's a fence, you know, sometimes the fence narrows at different points depending on who you talk to, but there's a fence to some degree or another. I would think that people on both sides of the fence would like to hear from the people that helped to turn this into a national conversation. I mean, wasn't that the merit of the whole discussion in the first place? We've got to have a conversation about this. Conversation, dialogue. I mean, how many times did you hear those turns of phrase? Well, how come nobody's talking about it with video? How come nobody's talking about it? Because there's no reporters to ask the questions. I, I mean, I'm sorry. Ignorance is not an excuse here. If you are telling me that you're, you're that connected to that issue, if you are telling me you care that much that you are willing to further the political divide and the natural, what has become inherent hatred between the two parties, using the flag as a fulcrum, using the anthem as a symbol to leverage your point, You're not allowed to be ignorant of this topic just because you live in San Francisco. You're not allowed to pretend that it's not happening in Pittsburgh if you're trying to tell me I'm supposed to care whenever it happens outside of my city. So where is everybody? Like, if I'm somebody who thinks that the protesters have gone too far, if I'm somebody who thinks that 
the police should be allowed to do what they did, and I'm not saying that, but if I'm one of the people who's angry at the protesters and the guy in the Mercedes that's driving through the protesters, if I'm somebody who thinks that, I want to see the players be at least consistent. And if I am one of the protesters, I'm wondering where they are. What's Colin Kaepernick doing? Getting ready for training camp? What's Eric Reed doing? Getting ready for training camp? Where are you? Pretty important things going on here. 412-922-2874. And I, I feel like this is a topic that people have been afraid to talk about. And, and I feel like some folks out there are saying, well, it's trivializing it to connect it to sports. No, it isn't. Uh, no, it is not. Because the sports angle of this discussion is why it got as big as it did in the first place. If Colin Kaepernick doesn't lend his name to this conversation, if NFL players aren't kneeling, then we don't have the level of discourse or dialogue, okay, I'll change the phrase, vitriol, that we did last September. You know, the reason why there was many people in the streets in Pittsburgh shutting down the parkway shutting down Liberty Avenue, shutting down the Homestead Grays Bridge, and intentionally going to a sporting event to cause further disruption was because sports is a broad enough topic to have generated this furor. And now, when it seems to be the most in play, I don't know why those sports figures who deemed it to be so important are fearful of talking about it or are willingly ignorant It seems to be an intellectual disconnect. And I think that's something worth discussing. So we can do that today. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at Tim Benz, PGH. So that's a big picture off the field thing. Meanwhile, some other topics to get into. The Pirates, as I pointed out before, while chaos was going on outside the park, chaos had descended inside the park as well. Um, I have never seen a display of that much offensive ineptitude in my life. In fact, I'm going to get into some of the awe-inspiring numbers of failure at home played for the Pirates, and they're going to make your jaw drop. Now, the only thing that seems to have gotten Pirates fans drummed up to the level of ire that I just talked about on a political landscape, on a strictly sports landscape, is Sean Rodriguez. Who knew a guy that could hit 145 was somehow, some way, such a lightning rod for discussion? But boy, is he ever. You say the name Sean Rodriguez, and you get a nuclear reaction right now in Pittsburgh. And you know what? Rightfully so. You know, the Pirates had slipped from... I'm so mad that dot, dot, dot. It has now turned into, oh, I don't care because they're not trying. That's been the case throughout this year. That's why you're seeing attendance in this state of affairs that it is. But now because they keep playing Sean Rodriguez over and over again, that's gotten people so ticked off that they care again now. They care angry, but they care. It's like a hate screw. You know, we're not together anymore, but we might be so mad and emotionally charged that eh, the atoms might fire in the wrong direction, if you know what I mean. So that's kind of where we are with the Pirates right now. It's a hate screw, and Sean Rodriguez is the topic du jour as to what's going to get us fired up about it. 
because he can't hit, he can't field, and he keeps playing over and over again. And I think Pirates fans have a right to be mad about this. They really do. You know, if you if you are going to tell me, like Neil Huntington said 10 days ago, that we're going to make changes for the better, to, to better this team, then you had to do it 10 days ago so this guy didn't have to play. You know, the, the, and the explanation why he kept playing yesterday, I'll get to that from Clint Hurdle in a little bit, but some of the explanations and the rationalization as to why Sean Rodriguez is playing should make you madder than anything. So 412-922-2874 on that front as well. Let's go to Daryl in San Francisco. Daryl on the NFL players. Go ahead. Hey, brother. How you doing, man? Great, great time to bring up this topic. You know, I was wondering, too, where are the players at in this situation? You know, they made all this think about how now they got to, if they don't stand for, for the Pledge of Allegiance, they're going to get fined. They get all in heat about that. But this situation that is here now, where you're in off season, you can be relevant, you should be out here. Why is a kid from Penn State, a football player, the only one out here speaking on this? Where are the Steeler players who stood in the tunnel and said that, you know, talking about their rights? So I'm totally in agreement with you. I want to know where you guys are at. So thank you, brother. I'll take your question off. Well, I mean, you, I took your question on air, but I, I get where you're going with it. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the point that I'm making about this is, is quite simply, I've said all along that Kaepernick screwed this up because he connected a symbol to a topic of conversation that was viewed by most as being unrelated. I know why he's thinking what he's thinking, but as soon as he brought the flag into it, nobody else was going to think that way. As soon as he brought the flag into it, Nobody was going to start talking about gun violence when it comes to cops and kids in the street. No one was going to talk about race relations between the police and teenagers in urban communities. It was just never going to happen. As soon as you leveraged the flag, it was over. And now that the conversation has gotten stirred up along like this, you know, are the players really protesting because they know because they know it's about originally it started with police interaction with minorities or were they just kneeling because the president called them SOBs because I think that's where it's gotten and I think the silence on this topic proves that that if it was really about gun violence I should be on every Twitter page of every NFL player who knelt or has talked about this and see nothing but that part of the conversation not Instagrams of how hard you're training out or working out. Uh, not posts about what kind of cereal you had for breakfast, you know, or, or where you're vacationing. I should be seeing nothing but this based on the level of conversation that we had about it previously. But I think this speaks to some of the frustration that took place last September and this offseason with the controversy getting kicked up again. Are they really protesting because they care about violence in the streets between police and citizens, or are they just mad because Trump told them what to do and they don't like his politics? And I think the silence that we've heard in the past 72 hours or so here in Pittsburgh from a national and local perspective speaks to the latter. What do you think? 412-922-2874 or tweet me at Tim Benz PGH. 
right, we're going to continue with the baseball talk, mix in some hockey, too, having nothing to do with Sidney Crosby and Maria Sharapova. Although I'm sure this will turn into a thing now, that Sid and Sharapova are dating, and they're going to have hockey tennis super babies. And if things stay quiet, Penguins-wise, when it comes to roster reorganization and trades and free agency and things of that sort, I will start that rumor. I, I will absolutely do that to feed the beast. So, um, we will talk about the Pens, and we'll talk about some awe-inspiring numbers about how bad the Pirates were in the batter's box this weekend against Arizona. That's coming up next. We're going to keep playing. Uh, the season's not going to stop. Nobody's going to feel sorry for it. These guys in here are working hard to get better. We haven't gotten better. Uh, nothing's transferred into the game as of yet. I'll kind of rearrange some things probably with the staff, talk about some things, and... Uh, Get ready to play tomorrow. What are you going to rearrange? The deck chairs in the Titanic? Rearrange? Tim Ben's in for Adam. That's Clint Hurdle there via AT&T Sportsnet after the series sweep against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Hurdle speaking after the Buccos lost 3 to nothing. Trevor Williams pitched well after a rough start. He gave up two homers in the first two innings. Then he was great after that, but too late given the fact that he's not getting any run support and neither is anybody else in the starting rotation. I'm going to get to some pretty awe-inspiring numbers here as it relates to the Buccos, and um, I, I just I can't look at some of these without even gasping twice. I, I wrote these in the trip. I'm still looking. I'm trying to figure out what order to put them in, and I can't figure out which one has the biggest gut punch to close with. I'll just do it in the same order. But We're going to hear more from Hurdle in a second, although, Tom, I do have to mention – I've done a little bit more research here during the commercial break on the who's that guy from the Sharapova Sidney Crosby photo on Twitter. Um, if people miss the open, there's this photo going around Twitter right now with Maria Sharapova and Sidney Crosby at Wimbledon, and she's doing the I'm the taller girl, you're the shorter guy, lean in thing, which I adore her for. Like any girl who could do that, just it, it warms my heart that you're willing to do that. Right, Tom? I mean, you know where I'm coming from on this. Oh, right? completely. All right. Now, the very first comment after she posted this photo is from some dude named Sebastian. And the only comment is, I don't know who that is. <laughs> and Sebastian, he's a guy, and he's got Sharapova as his avatar. He's French. He's got about 200 followers. And he likes Sharapova maybe a little bit too much. A little too much. It's getting a little creepy. So I'm not surprised he doesn't know who Sidney Crosby is because I don't think he watches any other sport besides women's tennis. And, and I got to wonder this out loud because Tom brought this up before the show. Is how many times do you think Sidney Crosby has been photographed with another athlete and he's the second most famous person in that photo? Or just in general in his life. How many times has Sidney Crosby been photographed and he's the second most famous person in the photo? Now, I, he's had it, I remember when he was a rookie, he had his photo taken with Ben Roethlisberger, right? You remember that? Okay, well, that was one. I'm done. I don't know. I, that's all I got. How many other times besides that? And this one is clearly the case. And we were, we were kind of debating, like, where does Sid's popularity stop? And I'm going to say... At my mom's house in Nova Scotia, because the next spot is water. Like, my mom lives like an hour and a half north of Sid, and then it's water, and then it's Europe. 
Okay, so I think after that, maybe nobody knows who Sid is. Maybe the occasional English or French hockey player or two. But I guarantee you, if you're in a boat and you keep heading east and you hit Europe, more people are going to know who Maria Sharapova is than Sid is. West out to Calgary, Sid's got a pretty good shot. They might even say, hey, who's the hot blonde with Sid? But you keep going east, that's about it. And at least according to what I'm seeing. And then it's like angry, it's like angry Penguins fans lashing back at this guy from France. How do you not know who Sidney Crosby is? What? You've been living under a rock for 10 years? Don't you know who this is? He's the best hockey player in the world. Oh, okay. Hey, easy here. I'd ask some of them, do you know who the hot blonde is? Uh, let's get back to Clint Hurdle and uh, some of the other comments he made. I, I, I love that, by the way. We're going to rearrange some things. Can you play the first one again, the one we just played? Can you re-rack that? I'll tell you where to stop. All right, just, just play it from the beginning, Tom. We're going to keep playing. Stop. Do you have to? Like, Who says you have to? Is it a rule? Is anybody going to make you? Are you sure you're going to keep playing? Keep going. Uh, the season's not going to stop. Nobody's going to feel sorry. I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for everybody in that locker room and all of us that have to watch you. The season's not going to stop? Are you certain you're not going to get kicked out of the National League? Because I could see that happening. Boy, these guys in here are working hard to get better. We haven't gotten better. Nope. Uh, nothing's transferred into the game as of yet. Nope. I'll kind of rearrange some things probably with the staff, talk about some things, and uh, get ready to play tomorrow. What, what are they going to say? Like... Are we going to bat Josh Bell fourth or fifth with his, what, four home runs this season? Which strikeout artist do you want playing third base? What what are you going to say? Corey Dickerson. Like, where do you want to hit him that he's going to get less RBI in a month and a half? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? All right, now, there's a little bit more from Hurdle. In fact, uh, here's a pep talk. Like, after he sounded a little bit down and dour there, he kind of caught himself midway through his postgame press conference. We're not talking about a life or death situation. We're talking about a ball game, preparing to play a ball game. We're talking about getting these men, keeping them moving forward, keeping them working, keeping them prepared. The same guys that threw some big numbers up early. We're not doing it now. Uh, we're capable. We've got to get the swings in place, the confidence in place. One guy can light a spark, but I don't think everybody needs to try and be the guy. We just need to keep moving the chains. Have a good at bat. It's so bad, the only analogy he can come up with to give us hope is a football one because it's almost training camp. We're going to move the chains. Yes, we are. Out to Latrobe, so we don't have to pay attention to this anymore. 412-922-2874. We got one more from Hurdle here, racked up. Oh, this is the one about Sean Rodriguez, right? Okay. Um, actually, hold on hold on to the Sean Rodriguez one, okay? But we'll play it here. We'll play it before the commercial break, but just hold on up for one second because... I want to go through some of the notes that I compiled for the trip today. Tim Benz and for Adam. Check me out mornings, breakfast with Benz. And um, I was just kind of dumbfounded as to how bad the Pirates were in one four-game series against one other individual team. It was impressive how poor they were at the plate. And uh, I I compiled some stats here from the four-game series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. They lost all four. And uh, here are some other tasty taters as to how bad it got. The Pirates lost all four games and were outscored 21-6. to The Pirates didn't lead in any of the four games. 
the Diamondbacks scored multiple runs in the top of the first inning in three of the first four games. The three of the all four games, I suppose. But when you can't score and you're letting the other team get in front by two and three runs in the first inning, you don't have a prayer. The Pirates didn't have more than one hitter with two or more hits in any one game in the series. Austin Meadows had multiple hits the first game and the second game. Diaz had two hits on Saturday, and Josh Bell had two hits on Sunday. That was it. They couldn't get a second hitter to have a multi-hit affair in one game throughout the whole con- the whole four-game set. The strikeout to hit totals were 40 to 24. 40 strikeouts to the Pirates, 24 for the Diamondbacks. Over the last three games, batters in the four through six slots, uh, largely the run-producing, driving-the-run guys, right? Hitters in the four through six slots combined went four for 36. How about the starting pitchers for Arizona? There are four starting pitchers in order. Godley, Corbin, Granke, and Buckholtz. They combined for 24 innings. They allowed a combined 11 hits, two earned runs, three walks to 29 strikeouts. Corbin, Granke, and Buckholtz, the last three starters, didn't allow a walk or an earned run. The Pirates had three extra base hits in four games. They didn't hit a homer. The Diamondbacks had five. The leadoff batter for the Pirates didn't score in the entire series. The Bucks left 25 men on base and were 3-for-19 with runners in scoring position. The big story there is they got 25 guys on base, and I don't know how with the numbers I just gave you. For reasons beyond explanation, Sean Rodriguez continues to get lots of playing time. He was 0-for-10 in the series. He had six strikeouts, two errors, and grounded into a double play, which prompted sarcastic reactions from the Pirates fans in the seats of MVP, 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 every time he came up to hit. And that happened two nights in a row, at least Saturday into Sunday afternoon anyway. Um, I'll credit Chris Adamski from our staff for tweeting that one out. He was covering the game for us and noticed that. So, And I heard it a little bit in the background of the, some of the broadcasts as well. But this is there was a moment in the game when Rodriguez came up. I think it was the eighth inning of Sunday's game. Rodriguez comes up. They could have pinch hit for him. They didn't. And um, Ron Cook at the PG asked Hurdle why. In the eighth inning, we talked about it, Ron. I'm trying to keep Mercer off his feet based on the volume of games he's played. So if Sean comes out, Mercer's going to go in. If we tie the game up and play 17 innings, which has happened to me before, it's the only reason I bring it up. It's, it's, it's one of those hard situations. There goes the guy you're giving the day off to. He doesn't have the day off, and you get him back in. We were going to hit with two men on an opportunity to tie the game. We were, yes, but not in that situation. Are you kidding me? You're leaving the 145 guy into play because you might go 17 innings. Okay, let, let's, let's parse that for a second. What I have here, like two minutes before we go to break? Let me, let's parse that for just a second. What's more likely to happen? Sean Rodriguez grounding into a double play or the game going 17 innings? What's more likely to happen? Sean Rodriguez making an out of any kind, Jordy Mercer getting a hit of any kind, or the game going 17 innings? 
It's Mercer getting a hit, believe it or not. This whole this thing about we've got to keep guys off off of their feet. We've got a plan as to which guys are going to sit out which days. Like, how long in a baseball season does that plan stay in place? Like to the first rainout? Like Corey Dickerson, I'm sure they had a plan for him too. He just lost three days because of the family emergency he had. Well, doesn't that restructure the plan? So. If Jordy Mercer had to play 16 more innings because he screwed himself by getting a base hit and extended the game, then you just switch it up and give him the game off against the Mets then. Like, how hard is that to figure out? Is he going to be exhausted because he strokes a single and then runs the bases in the eighth? Like, does that screw up the day off thing or the fact that he didn't play for two hours and 45 minutes prior to that? Like, he got, what, then, like 10 minutes of physical activity? That's going to screw up the day off calendar? What, what are we talking about here? And, and the constant going to Rodriguez in the lineup, who's played like 53 games, that's way too many for a guy hitting 145. This whole thing, well, we don't have anybody else who can play shortstop. Max Moroff can hit 145. You know, again, what's more likely to happen? Adam Frazier screwing you by playing shortstop, or Newman, yeah, I don't know. Anybody else you want to think about? Who else? Gung. Gung. Like, they, I don't know. The speed of the game is too much for him or whatever. But what's more likely to happen? One of those guys who's not as good as Rodriguez at shortstop messing up the game or Rodriguez going 0 for 4? It's Rodriguez going 0 for 4. I mean, we keep talking about percentages and shifts and, you know, this guy's splits in this situation versus that guy splits in that situation. And this is just a, such an obvious thing if you want to play the percentages. Right now, the greatest percentage of anything happening literally in all of baseball is Sean Rodriguez making an out. It's an 85% probability. That's the greatest percentage on the books in all of baseball right now. And you're still choosing that over anything else. Who are these geniuses that are looking at the numbers at PNC Park? 412-922-2874. We're going to talk plenty more about the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates throughout the course of the day. Uh, we are going to mix in some hockey next. Josh Yoey was on with me when I was on the DVE morning show. Val Porter and I were doing the show today. And Josh called in to talk about the inactivity at the draft and where the Penguins might go from here. Some new quotes from Jim Rutherford this afternoon, too, that we'll share with you as well. That's coming up next. Tim Ben's in for Adam. shot taken away by Israel another chance and a save by Frankie Marat oh Frankie Marat Sally take my hand to finish off the PK there oh look at Tom dusting off the RMU hockey calls well done well found RMU hockey back on uh, ESPN Pittsburgh make sure you check out Mike Pursuta and I on the call as well as on the stream for each and every RMU hockey game from Neville Island coming up this Paul, I got a little sneak peek at the likely schedule. Getting that back in the brain again. And we play that because Francis Murat, the goalie for RMU, has been invited to the Washington Capitals development camp. Look out, Brayden Holtby. The new Grubauer is coming after you, and his name is Francis Murat. Uh, So uh, hopefully Frankie shows out there. 
Justin Benz in for Adam. Good guy. Really like talking to Frankie, and uh, we look forward to covering him again this upcoming season. All right, I um, want to get some hockey talk here. What would the... Penguins coming off the draft, and I, I kind of thought that's all we'd be talking about today. Like, when I saw that I was in for Adam on the calendar today, I thought, oh, well, that's going to be an easy day. It's going to be a simple day. We're coming off the draft, Rutherford's going to make 10 trades. And uh, nothing happened. And Josh Yoey was on with Val Porter and me on the DVE Morning Show, and he told us in part why it was such a quiet draft weekend, and you can check him out at The Athletic as well. Well, you know, the Penguins didn't have many draft picks, um... The, the more interesting thing to me is the fact that Jim Rutherford very clearly wanted to wheel and deal over the weekend, uh, wasn't able to make any trades. He certainly was in some discussions, but uh, it's going to be interesting really between now and next Sunday, which is free agency day. Uh, Rutherford really wants to make a deal or two, and he usually does this time of year. So I bet he does, and it's going to be interesting to see just how, how uh, significant that it is. Yeah, Josh, why? Why was he unable to do so when he has been so able to do so at various points in his career here and in Carolina? Is it just kind of the tone of the way things are in the NHL right now? It's tough to move guys at this point or tougher than in previous years? Well, you know, Tim, it's tough for him in particular right now for a couple of reasons. The Penguins don't have a lot of cap space. That's something you have to keep in mind. And really, they've traded so many prospects and draft picks over the last few years. They only have so much to offer teams. Uh, for instance, I'll throw a name out there at you. I, I know he's very interested in Jeff Skinner, the, the player he drafted, in fact, in Carolina about eight years ago. Um, but if you're Carolina, you're kind of in a rebuilding mode. You're looking to get rid of guys. That means you want a lot of draft picks and prospects, and the Penguins only have so many of those to offer. And, and obviously, they don't want draft picks and prospects. They want to go out and get established guys because they're in win-now mode. So it makes it difficult for Jim, but that said, he will keep trying. I have no doubt that he wants to add a couple of forwards, whether it be in free agency or through a trade, and he wants to get a, a bottom-carrying defenseman as well. So I, I'm sure he will manage something. There weren't really that many trades during the draft, only a couple of big ones, uh, just the kind of nature of the of the uh, league was working over the weekend. But uh, he'll do something if history is any indication. Yeah, Josh, the Skinner thing, that sounds to me like an interesting player, but also something that they've already got a lot of. It feels like they'd be acquiring more of the same. Am I wrong there, and am I also wrong in worrying then, once they get him on board, how would they clear the cap space to make sure that they stay compliant uh, once free agency rolls around? Well, yeah, if they are to acquire Skinner in particular, he makes uh, five and change this season, then he's a free agent next summer. Um, to acquire him, they would certainly have to shed some salary. That would mean either Connor Sherry or Derek Broussard, those are, or Carl Hagelin. One of those three guys would almost have to be involved in the trade, I would think. And um, as for Skinner, the player, you're right. He, he, when you think of the Penguins and how they play, you think of Jeff Skinner because he's not very good defensively. But, boy, is he an offensive talent, um, I guess not unlike a, a Phil Kessel in that regard. There are some similarities. He's, you know, a guy who absolutely produces when he's healthy. Um, I think in Jim's mind, that's just kind of who the Penguins are. Uh, he wants them to win with Keaton with skill. And while he does want them to get better defensively and overall, sure, um, he still believes that's kind of what they're founded on, those kinds of players. And the more he can get, the better. Um, you're right. They already do have guys like Jeff Skinner, but he is a really good hockey player. He's, He's only 26 years old. He's already scored more than 30 goals three times and on a team, frankly, that isn't very talented. 
he's never played with the likes of, you know, Crosby and Malkin and Kessel. So in theory, he could be a very productive player with the Penguins, I would think. Um, but yes, he's not exactly the kind of two-way player that coaches covet and that perhaps the Penguins could use. Josh, what do you feel about the talk about Chris Kunitz coming back? You know, for the right price, it wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, trust me, there's very few people I respect more than Chris Kunitz. Um, you talk about a guy who has had a successful career, an undrafted player who has, what, four Stanley Cup rings. Um, and, and there's no question the Penguins respect what he does on and off the ice. Uh, at this point, he is strictly, I think, a fourth-line player. Uh, you know, he's pushing 40 now. Uh, he didn't have a lot of wheels to begin with. There's not much left there. But, but he is still an effective fourth-liner, and he is still a guy, if Sid goes into a slump for a week, you put him on Sid's line because they always play well together. There's no question about that. So uh, I haven't heard anything to indicate that the Penguins are overly interested in Kunis. They didn't really try to sign him last summer when he was a free agent, which tells me it would be a little bit of an upset if they were to land him in free agency. But that said, I don't know how many suitors Kunitz has, and I certainly have heard that he would be very interested in coming back and finishing his career with Pittsburgh. He, he does not want to retire. So it's a possibility, but it would have to be a one-year deal, and he would have to be willing to work pretty cheap. Did you buy what Mike Sullivan was selling about the state of his relationship with Phil Kessel? Because to me it came <laughs> off as a little bit of a case of thou dost protest too much. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, what's Mike going to say? Right. He's not going to stand up there and say, hey, Phil's a pain in the ass. Like Everybody <laughs> knows that already. I mean, what, but here's the thing. I, I think Mike Sullivan is a smart man, and he's absolutely willing to work with Phil Kessel. He always has been. He knows Phil's a little different than everyone else. He just is. Um, that said, uh, the more interesting aspect of this to me is, is Phil Kessel is willing to work with Mike Sullivan because it's pretty clear to me that Phil was the one doing more of the complaining in the second half of the season in the playoffs. I don't think Sullivan was, you know, throwing a fit about having to coach Phil Kessel. I, I do think Phil Kessel was throwing a fit about not being on Evgeny Malkin's line and, and having to play for Mike Sullivan, who I think Phil feels like uh, treats him unfairly at times. But the thing about Phil, uh, he thinks that about every head coach. And he thought the same thing about Randy Carlisle in Toronto. He, he thought the same thing in Boston when he was young. So I think it's just, you know, Phil is preconditioned to complain about coaches. That's just how he has always been. So, yeah, I don't necessarily think Mike Sullivan was lying. I think he was being truthful, but I also don't think things that have been reported in the last few weeks are untrue either, if that makes sense. What's he like in the locker room? You know, his teammates actually like him. But that's the interesting thing about Phil, and they always have. I think, and I've talked with some guys off the record about Phil, uh, I think the thinking is you couldn't have 20 guys in your team like Phil Kessel, but if they're just one of them, it's kind of fun. He's kind of like the class clown in some ways. You can't have 20 class clowns. But if you have one, you know, he's pretty, he's good fun. You can deal with it. Um, so I, I've never heard teammates say a bad word about him, and I've never heard that he's a bad teammate, really. Um, I, I think in general the guys like him, but he, he's kind of an oddball, and, and that's why fans love him so much. He's got that everyday man appeal. He absolutely does. Um, and, no, they're, they're okay with him. He's not a bad guy to play with. He shows up for work every day. They get a kick out of him. Um, but, yeah, he, he's just Phil. He's always going to be a little different, that's for sure. Well, what just made me laugh, Josh, was you know Sullivan felt like made it seem like he was a gog or a gas that this conversation had been going on for a month. But... <laughs> 
it had been going on for a month. So if he was so put off by the talk that he and Phil had a bad relationship, they could have said something well before the draft. It just speaks to me of they were waiting to see what was out there until the draft. They realized there was no worthy return for the trade, <laughs> so they're going to grin and bear it and go through it with another nice. year. And, and it's manageable, right? I mean, like they won two cups with each other. He had 92 points this year. It's a manageable relationship, but... You know, I I sort of rolled my eyes when I saw some of the responses from Sullivan. Like, where's this coming from? Well, I don't know, Mike. It was out there for a month. If you really wanted to quell it, you could have done it before the draft. Right. And then some of the citizens were tweeting at me, like, ha-ha, Sully put you in place. Like, oh, okay. I mean, I I don't know. And, and, you know, the the funny thing is, you mentioned that. I know for a fact teams have contacted the Penguins about Phil. you know, I don't think Jim Rutherford wants to trade Phil Kessel, though. I, I've never had that impression, and for a very simple reason. When you're the general manager and you make trades, well, you want to win the trade. And I think the Penguins realized pretty early on here, if they were to consider trading Phil Kessel, they're not going to win the trade. Right. Uh, you're not getting equal value in return for a guy like him because of his reputation, because of the fact that he makes a lot of money for four more years and he's going to be 31 in October. He's a tough guy to trade. And so because of that, I think the Penguins realize on paper, we certainly don't get better if we trade this guy, so we're going to deal with it. And you're right, Mike could have said something earlier. But in fairness, it's not like we were pounding down the doors asking to talk with Mike about it either. But that said, that there's enough sources who have told me there's friction in that relationship. I don't have any doubt that there is. Josh Yoey on DVE with Val and me earlier today. I'm in for Mike Pursuta all week on the DVE Morning Show. Don't forget the uh, Comedy Fest going on this weekend, which is going to be a good time for them. Um, when we come back, a couple new quotes from Jim Rutherford as he spoke today to the beat writers for the Pens. They got their development camp going on as well this week. We'll get that reaction from Rutherford and my reaction to Sugar Rush Night and the Cotton Candy Hot Dog. That's next. Tim and Fred Adam.